Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. We are off to the races. I am so excited to introduce our guest today. He's an absolute badass. He's a great person. He's he's like the mixture of like a badass marketer with like a kind and caring person with who's thinking about other people, thinking about uh, strangers from foreign lands, thinking about sales who can also be strangers from foreign lands. He's a really good guy, a marketing leader, a thought leader, a go-to-market ambassador, a GTM ambassador. He's also an advisor to the stars. He's actually been recognized as one of the top 20 revenue marketers that kick ass in 2023. Let's go. Host of a top 50 marketing podcast. And it's called The Marketing Ladder. It's all about climbing up that marketing career path as a marketer. Check that thing out. The Marketing Ladder. He's about to launch another one. Top secret. Learn about it later. Director of Demand Gen and Sales Assembly, Mason Cosby. Welcome to the show, sir. Can you just introduce me everywhere in my life? Because <laughs> I... I think that's the best intro I've ever received. So thank you for just massively inflating my head. I uh, can't wait to chat today. Hell yeah, man. Dude, let me know next time you're speaking at a conference. I'll just walk out with a boom box and be like, listen up, y'all. This guy's coming. He's, he's amazing. Uh, well, dude, I, I can't wait to, to get your thoughts on this and, and really smash some things. So I'm going to pass you something. Hold on. It's really heavy. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Okay. <laughs> Take Thor's hammer. You go ahead, right. take it, grab it. Nope, you gotta act. Yep, this is an interactive show. There you go. Okay, uh, grab it. Okay, take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, we're talking about this a lot, especially in our current economy. And you you hear all these people talk about and complain about, oh, there's marketing and sales that aren't aligned. It's the same struggle we've been dealing with for what, you know, 30, 40 years at this point. And I actually blame marketing. And I say that as a marketer because at the end of the day, what sales needs is relatively simple. They need meetings on the calendar with people that are qualified that they can then eventually close. It's actually not that complicated. Marketing then goes and talks about how complicated everything that we do is as I think a way to hide from the fact that it is difficult to generate these meetings, but we're trying to celebrate things that don't actually matter. So. I think that the reason that marketing and sales are not aligned is marketing's fault because we promise pipeline. We say, oh, we'll, we'll do these things and then we'll get pipeline. But then when we look at what we actually celebrate, we are typically celebrating follower count over pipeline. Right. We're saying we're aligned. We're, we're talking the good talk. But when it comes down to it, we're like, woohoo, we just got, you know, look at how many views this thing got. And nothing like celebrating that in front of sales. It was then like, what planet are you on, man? Like, how, or, or explain to me, riddle me this, Batman. How does, how do those views or how do those follower counts influence me getting those qualified people on a call on my calendar? Yeah. And I, so again, I want to be clear, like as a marketer, I do track and follow those things. I just don't report it to anybody. Like it's for me to understand because I recognize the long tail impact, but I'm not celebrating it. I'm not saying Hey, look at this post that got like a hundred thousand likes, which admittedly that would be pretty awesome, but like, doesn't matter if it doesn't turn into pipeline. Now, what we can do though, is say, Hey sales, 
this post that is directly tied back to our product or this piece of content that is clearly the value that our product brings and the problem that we solve, got a ton of engagement, has a ton of people that are showing interest around it. Yeah. You want to go maybe start some conversations there. So like one of the things that we have started to do to actually better align marketing and sales is actually figure out how do we connect content engagement to pipeline? How do we connect someone that likes a post to actually generating a meeting? And we've been running some sequences that are, hey, you're a right fit person that's been engaging in my content for three months. Here's what we do. And it ties back to these posts that you've been liking and commenting on and saying, oh yeah, I totally get this. I really struggle with this. It's not like 14 sequences and within a week we already got one meeting. And I mean, it's not anything crazy of like, okay, we're sending out hundreds and hundreds. But again, if you think about it, and I, I love this data that's been recently coming out of like 4% of emails are sent manually. 4% of emails are sent manually. So again, if you're actually providing sales, these people are actively engaged. They're showing up in the comments. They're replying or they're opening our emails and they're clicking on our CTAs and our newsletter. Again, we've got this persona and that persona has now become a person. And we're saying this is a lot of content engagement that we could celebrate as marketing, but instead of calling it a day there and celebrating the win, we then deliver that and we say, hey, sales, go be personalized, stand out, show that you've actually understood what this person's engaging in and understands and values and get a meeting booked. Man, killer. Dude, there's so many things to, to, to dive into on that. First of all, the, the, the number the percentage of emails that sent manually keeps going down, right? Every time you think about that kind of a stat, you're like, oh, most of them are, are manual, right? No, so little. So it doesn't, it doesn't take much, man. In a land of robots, the human is king. Like, let's go, just show up, but be relevant. Uh, man, the million dollar question you said in this, in this power answer here is, how do we connect content engagement to pipe? That's a million dollar question. Have you, have you answered that million dollar question? And can you I'm answering it? it. You're answering it. So here's how we're answering that. And it's not perfect and it's far from sexy, but it is actually creating a series of content calendars. So again, let me, let me take one step back. When I talk about content, a lot of what I do for a living is a lot around social and specifically around LinkedIn. So what I've done is I've built out content calendars and frameworks for all of our executive teams. And then I provide them the content and then they go and post that content. That content gets engagement because admittedly, they have the audience around our best fit customers. And it's not just their thoughts of the day. It is, for example, uh, there was one post that our, our CRO made that showcased so Sales Assembly as a skill development platform. We help go-to-market teams actually close the skill gaps across our entire go-to-market team. So cool. if uh, you're missing foundational skills, which Garten, according to Gartner, like 70% of employees report that they don't have the skills that they need to do their jobs effectively. So most people are missing the foundational skills that they need to do their roles. Makes a ton of sense. We can dive into that later. But when you actually look at those that get proactive skill development and sales enablement and actually have that as a standing part of their organizations, you see about a 7.5% increase in win rates for sellers. So we then looked at the average close rate from proposal to closed one is 42%. So 
So then we did the math on if you have the average seller that's selling a $50,000 or $60,000 deal that is working 60 deals a year and gets okay. 60 deals to a proposal. So let's say you have a seller that's just really getting after it and gets 60 deals to a proposal. If you had that one seller only close 42%, I'm actually gonna do the math with you real quick. So 25. 60 deals. <laughs> yeah. Like 25.2. They're, they're closing 25 deals at a $60,000 average deal value. So they're closing 1.5 million. That's wow, pretty solid. Man. So now let's see if they were able to increase their close rate to 49% or we'll say 48.5 uh, for the purpose of the example. Okay. So 60 deals times 48.5, you get 29 deals at an average value of $60,000. That is 1.746. Ah. So on the individual deal level, on the individual rep, you get about an average increase of $200,000. That doesn't seem like a lot. Scale that out across five reps. You now have an extra million dollars. Scale that out across 10 reps. It's an extra 2 million. Wow. So again, for most organizations, they don't just have a single seller. They've got a sales team, right? but they're not doing anything proactively to develop that sales team. So again, now we've showcased, hey, if you invested in the skill development of your team, we can actually showcase the ways in which you'll make an extra million dollars if you had five sellers. Then people are commenting and engaging and liking that post. We enroll those people into an outbound sequence that is specifically around, hey, here's this ungated product demo and tour that showcases how we actually help you get that 7.5% increase in your win rates. And then- Wait, wait, so meeting. this was all the LinkedIn post? Mm-hmm. Dude, this is like a, to stuff that into a LinkedIn post, this, this is like awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, but we made it really simple. Yeah. It was, you've got an average rep that's working 60 deals okay. and currently yeah. according to the data, they're closing at 42% sales enablement gets a 7.5% increase. So let's showcase in bullets, win rates, number of reps, average deal value. How much revenue do you get at the end of the year? Compare that with a 7.5% increase, just that alone. And it actually came out to about 1.3 when we looked at it in, in that LinkedIn post. And again, we're selling a fifteen dollars to $25,000 product. So, and I can show you in a really simple way, we sell this for fifteen dollars to $25,000, and this can help you get that 7.5% increase in win rates, according to all the data that we're seeing out there, that you do the math yourself, 7.5% yeah. increase. Does that justify fifteen dollars to $25,000 investment in skill development? If yes, we're in business. If no, I don't know what you're doing. But at the end of the day, like it's a really simple way that we can then actually start to do outbound sequencing. So we're creating content like that across our executive team on a weekly basis so that we can then enroll. And we're ensuring that we're creating one post per team member that is very clearly like that. So that by the end of the week, we go back to the last week, we've got four different sequences that we can enroll based off of four different people's audiences. So it's not just the same audience that we're going to every single time, but we're spreading it out across a variety of audiences. Man, different. And I'm sure different execs have different audiences, right? You've got the the marketers, you've got the the leaders, you've got other other 
owners of software companies and it, it's different. It, it's so diverse, man. It, it makes total sense that you would treat them all differently. This is, this is brilliant. It sounds like a lot of work. How do you keep them all together? How do you keep, keep it straight? Uh, a lot of spreadsheets, okay. unfortunately. Yeah. Now, cause here, here's the other thing. I talk a lot about being scrappy. So I currently am a solo marketer that is responsible for helping our sales team close a hundred new deals in the course of 2023. And it's a very actually realistic goal from there though, like they've not had a ton of marketing support in the past. So I am the one that is having to say, these are the tools that we need. So yeah. instead of going and I'm also like four or five months in my role at this point. So I'm still building a lot of the relational equity to then ask for those things. I'm starting to make more asks like that because we're now into this and we've got the programs up and running and we can actually look and see here are the clear gaps. So I start with spreadsheets and then I also paint a vision for what the future looks like. So the ideal state is that actually we have a Google Drive hierarchy set up with some great zaps. And from there, we can actually then automate the distribution to all the different profiles and um can ensure that it's going to YouTube and that it's it's set up appropriately so that once I've edited the video using the script and I upload it over back to Google Drive, it can kind of just zap it everywhere. Yeah. Like that's an end state. And admittedly, setting up that automation, those operational components around the content, that's a dedicated project. So what we do instead is we prove the value through manual processes first and say, okay, this is worth the time investment to automate and scale it. So right now, to your point, it's spreadsheets and I have like a, essentially a calendar and I have commented in the Google sheet under every executive on every single day of the month, here's the content asset that you're going to go and repurpose. And the other thing that I've done to help our executives is they are very active on LinkedIn, but I've helped them build out a specific chat GPT bot that has content that has been fed to that specific bot. So it sounds like that specific executive. So we looked at all the top performing posts for the past year and actually had chat GPT analyze writing style, tone and voice so that it can then recreate in that same writing style, tone and voice. Again, I want to be very, very clear. The purpose is not content creation using chat GPT. It is content reformatting and repurposing. And then the other piece is like, even still it's about 70% of the way there. So I had my, uh, one of my executives said, man, this is really solid, but like, how do I, how do I get it to insert my own point of view? That's my unique point of view, to which I said, you can't like right. AI is not going to develop an original thought. Mm -hmm. What it can do is when you go on a podcast and we repurpose that transcript, it can format your original thoughts. But if you want something that's an original thought, like you have to create an original thought. And then I'll say that to like sound callous or like anything, but like the reality is AI will get you 70, 75, maybe 80% of the way there. It still takes that manual touch, but imagine how much time is saved by the fact that we got 80% of the way there. So that is my little soapbox. I don't use it for content creation. I use it for content reformatting and repurposing. How long did it take you to train the chatbot to uh, get, get you that 70% reformatted back? 20 minutes, 20 minutes. So if you are active on LinkedIn and you've got a, a body of content that you post or posted, uh, you just look at your top performing posts that you want to emulate. 
So for example, my top performing post from the past year is actually about my wife's cousin that has 1.1 million followers on TikTok and got a free house through a brand deal. Like it's just ridiculous. I don't want to talk about that though. Like I just, I didn't know it was going to blow up, but that post got like 150,000 views, which wow, was man. great pat on the back for me. Has nothing to do with like what I talk about every <laughs> single day. It, it was actually a detrimental post because I got 500 followers that want me to talk more about TikTok and I just don't talk about it. So right. like, I, I'm not saying when I say top performing post, I'm not saying the ones that got the most views, the most likes, the most comments. What I'm saying is what posts drove the most impact for actually communicating your strategic narrative to your market. That might look like a post that got a lot of views. That might look like a post that got a lot of likes, but it could also look like the post that didn't get a ton of likes, but blew up your DMs. Mm. So again, recognizing what's my end goal and how do I then emulate more content like this? So looking back at your posts, you can pretty quickly identify those posts from the top performing. And again, I'm not saying look at every post, but I am saying like, look at the ones that got the, the highest number of likes and impressions as a way to filter it and not, but I want to clarify, like, I'm not, I didn't even include that first post that had the most views because it, it doesn't tie back to what I actually talk about and do to make money from there. You copy and paste it over into chat GBT and you have a prompt that's something to the extent of, and you know, you are Mason GBT, you're goal is to create LinkedIn content around these pillars. So for me, it's scrappy account-based marketing and content, the sales and marketing alignment, it is marketing careers, it is learning in public. Um, and it's specifically how to identify your total relevant market within a go-to-market strategy. So those are the five things that I talk about a lot. From there, got it. It then I fed it all the samples and then I asked it to summarize my running style and tone and voice and it then gave like a 10 bullet summary of all the ways that it analyzed my writing style and my tone of my voice. And I just asked it moving forward. Can you continue to create content that sounds like this from there? I can then give it content and tell it, this is the pillar that it aligns to. This is the main point of this content. And this is what I want the reader to take away. So it could be something like, can you please take this transcript and turn it into a LinkedIn post from Mason Cosby? targeting B2B marketing executives, helping them to understand the value that ChatGPT can have in a content repurposing program. The main goal of this post will be to help people understand that ChatGPT should not be used for content creation, but should be used for content repurposing and reformatting. And then the other step that I, I didn't mention is I'm um, helping it understand the structure and style. So do we want to provide tips? Do we want to provide mistakes? Do we want to overcome an objection? Do we want to help people recognize that what they think is actually a myth? Do we want to say something controversial? Do we want to have, um, you know, just general thought leadership? That content matrix that I'm talking about, I actually stole very, very openly from a guy named Stephen G. Pope. He is incredible. I get to meet with him on Monday. I know um, him. Yeah, he's incredible. How do you know him? Uh, I admittedly found him through TikTok and his just great content on content automation and repurposing. Uh, and he and I have been going back and forth in LinkedIn. So he, uh, he has to hop on a quick call. So he and I are going to chat Monday. Wait, which letter you said, Steven, what Pope, uh, Steven G Pope. Sure. The right one. Okay. Sick man. Small world. Uh, 
love love that you're you're giving it certain criteria. It's all about the reformatting. It's not about creation. Totally getting that. Um, we got. By the way, um, quick funny aside. I don't know if you've had this happen to you as well, but uh, sometimes I will uh, I will correct it and I'll say, okay, yeah, that's good. But I actually liked it better the way you did it this other time, you mm-hmm. know. And and it apologizes every time. And in tries I made to be like, hey, look, this is iterative process. You don't need to apologize every time. Please don't apologize every time. It is like hard coded in there. It's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me do that again for you this way. I'm like, no, 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 stop apologizing. But Oh, well, it's like stuck. <laughs> I kind of love that. But also it is. Yeah, I I don't want people to take that and say, oh, I need to apologize for every time I I don't get it perfectly. Because to your point, yes, everything that we're doing in marketing is an absolutely iterative process. Yeah, yeah. It should be clear. It's apologizing to me. And I'm like, you don't need to apologize to me. <laughs> and then yeah. it, quick question. Do you say please to chat GPT? I do, but I was raised in the South. So I, I still say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, even though like I'm clearly an adult. Like I just, that is, that is hard coded into me. <laughs> totally get it. I say please as well. And let's be honest, people say please, because in the not too distant future, 50 years from now, should it take over the planet? Let's be honest. Those that said, please, we get the villas. All you rude people out there, you're going to be working the, working the farms, right? So you know, the battery farms for, uh, for chat GPT. So be polite to your local neighborhood AI, um, off the soapbox. We got into this topic around social and the postings because we were talking about connecting activities out there, the content engagement to pipeline. So talk to me about how now that we've got this really cool, um, curated, reformatted, content that's being posted on all these different executives. How does that dot, dot, dot into pipe? Yeah, two ways. One, uh, if you're on HubSpot, then you can actually go and create a campaign that is literally called like social selling. And then you can create specific links for the different executives that are then doing outbound sequences. And again, I'm actually setting up those sequences for them. So then if somebody clicks on that link, it's then not just associated back to a social selling campaign, but it's actually specifically associated back to which executives content and which executives audience then actually drove this person to come to our website. From there, what we are doing right now is it's not actually a meeting ask, it's an ungated demo ask. So because we have some data enrichment on our end, we can still track somebody based on the ways in which they engage in our website before they formally opted in. So we have that information. And again, we can associate it back to a specific um, touch point through those campaign features. And then once a meeting is booked, we look at really three places. One, the actual form. So uh, we have a drop down that says, like, how'd you hear about us? Um, between you and I, I'm in the camp that that should be an open field. And then you use automation on the back end to yes. appropriately filter it. Heard some great stuff with that, for sure. Yes. I'm still four months into my role. So that's, uh, that's something that we're that I'm still going to start to, I'm starting Dude, to advocate you change for it. Cause once you're there for a year, they stop listening to you. I'm working on it. <laughs> that's another uh, topic we'll get to. <laughs> yes. But so that's, that's the first place for us. That's a drop okay. down. I recommend typically for most organizations that should be an open field. The second place is then looking at your actual attribution software. Um, is it going to be wrong most of the time? 
based on the, some of the data that we've been seeing, it's it's not always 100% accurate because, for example, somebody follows you on LinkedIn for a year, then they go to Google and they type in your exact URL and they schedule the call. That's going to come in as direct traffic when the reality is that was actually LinkedIn for a year. But we do look at it just to confirm and make sure. And then the third place is actually in the sales conversation. One of the questions that we ask on that first call is, hey, thank you so much for for you know scheduling a meeting today i just wanted to ask like how did you end up hearing about us um and you know what what problem are you trying to solve today like something to that extent where it is just the genuine question like how did you know that we existed um you know that's not always appropriate to ask so for example sales assembly is a very relationship-based oriented organization so like if i've seen you at events for the past five years yeah. And I asked you on the first call, how did you hear about like, that's yeah. stupid. Um, but more often than not, you, you can ask that question. Um, the other question you could ask for somebody that you do know, there's a question that we're going to start to implement is if, again, you know that they've been around for a while, yeah. just then asking the question, what caused you to actually, like, we've known each other for like five years. What caused you to say, you know, now's the time that I need to actually schedule this meeting and, and move forward with sales assembly. So those answers are still super helpful. And then we have a drop down in our uh, HubSpot instance that actually attributes where the deal was created. Got it. I love that. I love that that last question. If if it is ubiquitous and, you know, it's like, I don't know what, it's like asking someone how they found out about Taco Bell. Like, you just, I just did. Yep. <laughs> I just, I just knew. So yeah, well, we've known each other for a while. You know, what was the trigger? What was the the cause that, that had you reach out now after all those LinkedIn posts or all these different things. That's, that's, and you're capturing all these in fields in your HubSpot. So we have our notes set up. So we're capturing it on the notes field or not notes field, but in the notes on the deal record. Okay. And then within the drop down, we're associating it to a specific, like, was it cold outbound that did it? Was it right. um, a marketing source thing? And then kind of the next step, um, that I'm in the process of setting up is specifically the drill downs. So we've got the high level, but then I want to, as a marketer, understand it, was it our podcast? Was it social? Was it email? So not just marketing source, but like what's the specific channel, not with the intent that we recognize. Okay. It's, it's never going to be just one thing, but it is helpful to understand within your audience, what are your demand creation channels and what are your demand capture channels? So that then you can actually then go make the use case to your executive team. Because if you have an executive team that's looking at what's actually driving specific deals and they're like, email is the only thing that's actually created a deal. We should only be doing email. And it's like, maybe. But how does somebody discover the email? Right. Like they may have been listening to our podcast for a year and then said, man, I should go check out their website. And then they got hit by a pop-up. They went and saw the email for three months and were like, man, these people are really smart. I should go ahead and schedule a call. So like <laughs> understanding the nuances of demand creation versus demand capture, it's helpful to understand what channels are demand capture, but you also then need to understand how do you actually create the demand in the first place? Yeah. It always drove me crazy when people said that the webinar was the source of the lead. You know, it's like, cool. People don't just magically wake up and go, you know what? I sense that there's a webinar today. I'm going to go register in myself in the sky and then I will just appear on this webinar. <laughs> the same thing with email. We didn't just magically 
uh, you know what? We should do that. We should, you know, drink a little extra caffeine, you know, get a sweat lodge going, and we'll just start writing out people's email addresses that come to us. You know, I think, and then we'll just, you know, but then again, the email is not the lead source. It was the sweat lodge that was the, the lead source. So again, we got to have proper attribution. That's yeah, crazy, we- man. I'm going to go add Sweat Lodge as a lead source in my house instance just to go throw off Can you please do that work. and send me a picture? On it. <laughs> you, you just might have to change it back until when sales sees it, but maybe you leave it and you get them all asking, like, dude, what's this new channel you've got? Or we see <laughs> if they're actually paying attention. Boom. We've now just set up a trap for sales. Dude, anyway, that's how you foster alignment. It, yeah, and, and make it the default lead so, uh, like source. So if they're creating net new things themselves when they should be searching to see if it already exists in a database it'll default so they have to change it otherwise it'll it'll yeah i kind of love that this started with sales and marketing alignment and now marketing is just trying to figure out how do we screw with sales (laughs) how do we screw them (laughs) oh you know how do we hold them accountable accountability is caring you know all valid There, there it is um well you clearly have just knowledge coming out of your ears. I would, I, I can't let you get out of here and talk about anything else until we talk about the fact that you've been doing this marketing career podcast, hundred plus, hundred twenty plus episodes. Is that right? Right about, yeah. Right about, and you're talking to people about their marketing careers. You become an expert. The thing you ask questions about, if you keep asking enough questions, tell me, man, what, what have you? What have you gotten from all these conversations about marketing career? Uh, the outline of a book first. Which Hell yeah. I, I don't know if I'll ever write it, but I just, to be to be blunt, like after having this conversation, I've been able to pull out, these are the continuous threads because here's the crux of the podcast. You ask anybody how they got started in marketing, I can actually say 115 out of 120 times, they will say, oh, I just fell into it. Yeah. Not a joke. I've had yeah. like 120 episodes, 115 people always start like, oh, I just kind of fell into it. And then I talk to them for an hour on how they actually fell into it because marketing is an awesome freaking career. Yeah. But if you are trying to figure out how do you get started in marketing and somebody just tells you, I fell into it, that that's is not helpful. helpful. Yeah. So now the helpful aspect is recognizing, like, in the same way that a lot of people say, like, oh, everything is sales. I also think that everything is marketing. 100%. So when you actually look at what are the things I'm, I'm interested in a marketing career. The first step is understanding the breadth that is marketing to understand what are the various ways that I can do marketing. And I don't mean specific like tactics and channels, but I just mean like to some extent, directly asking for a sale every single time is a form of marketing. Is that the best form of marketing? Probably not. (laughs) So then, okay, do I want to go all the way into the brand, like feeling type stuff and like, how do we map our personas and like get into more of the high, 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 high top of funnel where I'm helping to shape the way that people think and feel, or do I want to get more into maybe the middle of the funnel where it is more practical, tactical education, or do I want to actually, the other side is, we have customers. Do I want to make sure that they're getting the most value? And do I want to market to customers? So like understanding where do I want to begin based on who I am? So when you look at, for example, teachers, 
because there's a lot of people that have transitioned from teaching into marketing. Sure. Uh, I think of the 120, I've had about 10 people that were former teachers. They love, love, love education. Obviously they love seeing other people being successful. So where do teachers typically land? They land in content marketing and they land in customer marketing. They're not typically landing in paid media. Typically there are exceptions, <laughs> sure, but sure. like makes sense. So understanding who I am and where I actually find the most joy, because admittedly marketing has an opportunity probably for everybody. hundred percent. Then actually getting into a, a inch deep understanding across the breadth of marketing. So you can have those conversations. Like I've never run paid media at a, any sort of scale. I've done garbage campaigns, but I can have a conversation with a paid media expert at least enough to know they sound like me and I don't know what I'm talking about. Like they're probably just kind of BSing me. They're not truly like I need to know enough because marketing is full of buzzwords. So I need to know enough to where I can call out some BS from there. When you get that breadth of understanding, you can go really specifically deep into one area. So I know people talk about this idea of like the T-shaped marketer. And I think that that is the appropriate approach. But I don't think it's like I need really practical, tactical execution understanding across every single functional area of marketing because that's insane and asinine. And it's just like it's an ever-growing discipline. But I need an understanding of what these things are. So that I then have the education to say, this is where I'm going to have the most fun and enjoyment long-term. And they're going really, really specifically deep and getting specialized in that area, but not for the purpose of then becoming just an ABM manager for the rest of your career, but for the purpose that you have a foundational skill set, And then you start to look at the additional, like I would say peripheral or secondary skills that then enhance your primary. So when you look at people that make that transition from manager to director level, it's because they got really good at a specific discipline and then they got the secondary skills and then they continue to do that out. And eventually yeah. you actually get to be that true expert across all the functional disciplines of marketing, but that takes like 15, 20 years. Like that's just a long haul, but it takes the intentionality of saying, I'm going to get really good at one or two things. And then I'm going to get really good at three or four things. And I'm going to get really good at five or six and recognizing that the best piece of advice that I got was in the mid twenties or thirties. And it was a marketer that said, I knew I wanted to be a VP or a CMO. So I knew that I couldn't have the same year of experience 20 times. I needed 20 years of experience. And I think the trap that a lot of people fall into is they never move out of that one specialization. They say really specialized, they say really niche and they get the same year of experience 20 times over. And in order to continue to grow long-term, You've got to get different experiences, but you use that foundational skill set as the thing that propels you forward and gives you credibility in the room. So the last piece is building outside of your day job and actually building a personal network outside of your day job because that goes with you wherever you go. And I actually literally just had this conversation with somebody of, I think that's why we're seeing the rise of these creators because marketers have built really, really successful and sexy ABM or email marketing programs, and we'll go with the case of email marketing. They spend five years building an incredible email audience. They change jobs. That email audience stays with that employer. They start from scratch. They have the skill set, but they've got to start over from scratch with a different audience. Whereas when you can build something that you still own, but does benefit the employers that you have, and it can go with you, 
you actually then create a compounding effect. So that might be active engagement in community. It could be your own podcast. It could be a LinkedIn um, network. It could be an email. Like it could be any number of things. And I'm not saying you have to go build an email or a podcast or a LinkedIn, but you may need a community that is separate from your day job that can carry you and can continue to invest in you past your jobs. I had an incredible mentor in my last job. She and I, she's not mentoring me anymore. I don't work for her. Right. Like she doesn't have the time to do it. And I have an incredible mentor at my current job, but he's probably not going to mentor me if I ever leave. So like, if you want to continue to grow, you need somebody that can actually be with you through the various stages, which is where a community comes into play. It's where a podcast comes into play. It's where a newsletter comes into play. It's where your LinkedIn network comes into play. So those are some of the like very practical tips that I would be happy to give after somebody listened to 120 episodes. Dude, so good. And I know I'm just scratching the surface because uh, that number of interviews, that number of conversations, uh, on behalf of the marketing community, please write the book. And if you're, if you're interested in getting some help, uh, reformatting the content, I know someone who's really good at working with <laughs> chat GPT to, uh, get voice tone and, and intonation all in, in the voice of the author. And you should listen to this podcast. I just, just recorded <laughs> about a minute ago, but, but yeah, definitely write that thing. And then also, I don't know if you've ever considered being even like a career coach, but like, man, what gems in that thing, just to be able to point people in the right direction. So I'll, I'll tell you one little not so secret secret that I've, I've talked about a couple of times. Uh, the book will probably come after my, my long-term goal is to become a VP or a CMO level marketer. And the book will come after that once I've actually reached that level and served at that level for any period of time. Because essentially what I'm doing right now is I'm actioning the advice that I've gotten over the past two years to prove the model before I go and write the book. And if I can do it successfully, based on kind of the framework that I have in my mind, then I can actually prove and say, I followed these steps and I've helped other marketers follow these steps and these are their stories and these are their results. So here are the steps and here's the proof. Yeah, I totally get that, man. Here's a, a counter thought to that, which is write the book that gets you to where you're at now for all those people that are trying to start marketing. Valid. You know, and then when you get to that next level, now you've got the companion book, you've got the follow on. So you don't have to write the whole thing. Anyway, something, something to chew on, uh, dude, who are you? How do you know all these things? Can you take me back in time? Little Mason days. Did you know you're going to be commanding all these, you know, career conversations and podcast episodes and, and amazing ABM programs? No, um, <laughs> no, you didn't. I so going all the way back, um, I, I actually do attribute a lot of the way in which I think to the way that I was raised. I, I grew up the son of a landscape architect that owned his own business. Uh, he was a college dropout and like, I mean, just built a very successful, very highly, um, I'll put it bluntly, like very highly profitable. He had six employees and they were grossing typically five to six million in revenue. Now, granted, you know, that's not SaaS, that's landscape architecture. Like there's a lot of high equipment costs, but the reality is yeah. he learned how to scale a business without headcount, but through true expertise. Then my mom was a pharmaceutical rep for Johnson and Johnson. So she was a sales rep her entire life. Um, and I, I saw what it was like to be a top performing rep. My mom was always the number top three rep 
in the nation for whatever organization she was a part of. And she was a part of like Moderna, Novartis, Johnson and Johnson, wow. just the, the larger ones. Um, I thought I was going to be a pastor and I re- my parents say I rebelled and became incredibly conservative. Uh, <laughs> and uh, from there, I explored pastoral ministry. I actually got a degree in marketing, uh, but the inevitable intent was transition out of that degree in marketing, go to seminary and get a master's of divinity. Um, that ended up for a variety of reasons, not panning out. Turns out uh, for whatever reason, I'm actually really, really good when it comes to explaining complex subjects. Uh, but whenever I get into a Sunday school classroom, that ability ends. I am awful at teaching Sunday school. I have bombed every class that I've ever taught. Uh, it is just not, it, I don't know what it is. And my wife lovingly tells me, like, <laughs> great teacher, but not in a Sunday school classroom. So I'm just really bad at it. Um, so I accepted that with some humility. And well, let's be honest, it's a little bit easier to do SEO than understand exactly how to change water into wine, you know, like just a little, just a little. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, from there I was, I was engaged. Pastoral ministry was not working out. So I got a job selling print ads uh, in a parenting magazine, uh, which is very odd. And I ended up uh, 15% commission, like straight out of college selling into the largest hospitals in the state of Mississippi, like sitting in the boardrooms with all the CEOs and CM, like ended up within my first year selling about $300,000 worth of print ads. And I mean, it, this was like in the throes of when digital was clearly the best or better way to go. Yeah. Um, then ended up getting laid off. There was this little virus that came through. Um, that closed all the schools and our distribution model for a parenting magazine was the public and private school system. So we lost the ability to actually make a product. Um, after that transitioned over into the FinTech space where I learned about the concept of B2B marketing and ran marketing for a FinTech company in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, they really just wanted like trade shows to come back. And I really wanted yeah. to build like a really massive demand program. Um, cause I had been learning about that. So to give you additional context of like, how did I learn all this so quickly? I share the story a lot, but essentially after I got laid off, uh, I got laid off 20 days after I had gotten engaged and got my first house with a mortgage. Dude. And, uh, I had a six month window where my soon be wife, now wife, uh, was in a different state. So I then was like, cool. I got six months to figure out how I'm going to always be employable forever and ever and ever. Right. So I took all the certifications. If you go look at my LinkedIn, I've got like 65 different certifications. I like, it's just stupid. The <laughs> amount of content that I consumed to try to learn how to be employable. Um, eventually transitioned into uh, an agency. And at that agency, I ran marketing for an account-based marketing agency. So I marketed marketing to marketers. And that. that was the greatest learning experience because my job was to understand marketing. So I could then market that to marketers that knew their stuff. Yeah. Like I had to be good at what I did. Um, we did that. Dude, you're not kidding. It's like 64 certifications on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. It's, it, I exaggerated by one, my bad. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, from there we ended up getting acquired by the world's most awarded B2B agency. So I ended up going from a team of 25 to 600 and Whoa. selling account-based marketing programs to anywhere from pre-revenue. And then the, the largest organization that I sold was a $60 billion global leader in logistics. 
Um, I can't, I don't think I can legally say their name, but I can give that information. If you just go Google it, you can figure it out. So anyway, um, be on LinkedIn, that, right? So all, all good. Yeah. Uh, from there, uh, found out I'm expecting my first child in August. And, uh, as much as I loved working at the agency, I had actually fully transitioned into a sales role and I love marketing. So, uh, between a lot of global travel, plus not really wanting to build my long-term career in sales, uh, transition to then work at a sales education company called Sales Assembly. So that is the nutshell of how I went from a print ad executive to director of demand gen at a sales education company in less than five years. Yeah, that's fast, man. It's been exhausting, but it's been very worthwhile. The meteoric rise. Mason Cosby. <laughs> Dude, okay. Well, here, here's a question for you. It's a bit of a hypothetical question, though. If, are you ready? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. You see, I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. So okay. let's say you come visit. We get some beer, get some lobster, hang out. It's in the backyard, covered in a tarp, right? I'll tell the missus we'll be back soon, which will be in zero time because we're going to come right back to where we left, of course. Love it. Uh, we go get in the time machine, but sp specific kind of time machine where we get to go back and visit yourself four days after you got that marketing degree from school. Maybe you haven't had those conversations yet, figured out things about divinity school, where you're going, what you're doing, uh, but you get to go talk to yourself. What do you say? What kind of things you're going to tell yourself? So this is not going to be marketing advice at all, but this is yeah. going to be the advice no. that genuinely changed my life. Um, cause being, so I, I became a Christian when I was in high school and I was in the South. So the way in which I knew to actually live out the Christian faith as somebody that was in the South in high school was to go be a pastor. So I was like, that was what I was supposed to do. And post-grad, that was still the plan. And if I was four days after graduation, uh, the thing that I eventually understood, and I eventually got this advice, but I would want to, I would want it earlier. Um, is look at what your actual skill sets are and lean really, really heavily into those and recognize for me personally, my belief is that the Lord has gifted me with this ability to be a marketer. So instead of trying to fight that and say, because I've been a salesperson and a marketer and persuasive person my entire life, I've been a highly effective communicator my entire life. I thought that was going to lead me to ministry. It didn't. And then I resisted every way, shape and form to try to not do marketing and sales because that's, I just didn't think that was the path for me because I yeah. thought making money was wrong. The advice that I would give to myself is again, look at your skills, lean into those. And then for me personally, like the very specific advice is um, somebody has to fund the church. Somebody has to go fund the mission work. Somebody has to fund feeding the homeless. Somebody has to fund making sure that the foster care family has the food that they need to feed the 13 children that they're taking care of. Fund it. Like be the guy that goes in, makes a lot of money and fund the church. Be the beneficiary or be the benefactor, not the beneficiary, be the benefactor. Um, and when I really internalize that, like that's, if you look at my career, I got that advice after I got laid off and I was looking at going back into ministry and I had a friend that said, no, you're really bad at ministry. Like you're just not a good Sunday school teacher. <laughs> That's a good friend right there. <laughs> uh, but you're really good at making other people money. That was exactly what he said. 
And people pay people well if you can make them money. So go make some other people some money and they'll pay you. And then you can fund the church. Dude, dude, so powerful, man. Uh, so powerful. And I know you, you had you had to learn that the way you had to learn that. But what what a lesson. And and yeah, it, I think so many times when people look at where they're working and whatnot, if it's not the Peace Corps, do you do you really have that kind of are you really helping people out? But hey, you can be the you can you know, work that job selling that software, whatever it might be to be able to make that social change that you want. So you don't have to be that person digging the well. You can be the one helping pay for the, the digger to get that well dug, you know? So powerful. So, dude, where can people connect with you? Where can they reach out? Where do you want them to find you? Uh, so the main places would be LinkedIn. And for the time being, until maybe a, an inevitable change, uh, the marketing ladder. So those are going to be the two. Um, there, may be, there may be a new podcast, as we talked about earlier, uh, that comes in the relatively near future. And when that happens, you can find that on LinkedIn. So those are the main places. And if everything I said about skill development resonates with you, um, go to salesassembly.com. There's a button that actually says take a tour and it's an ungated product demo. So you don't have to talk to anybody, you don't have to fill out any form. You can you don't have to accept any cookies. Like you can just show up, explore the platform, see what it's like to be a part of the membership of Sales Assembly and balance if it's not for you. But if it is for you, then directly book a, a meeting with our sales team. Love that. And we'll link right to that from the show notes. Dude, thank you so much for coming on here, uh, teaching us about your scrappy ABM, teaching us about all these social postings and how you can really leverage that and then tie that into pipe. Uh, it's been an honor to just learn from you for an hour here. Well, thank you so much for having me and letting me just like go at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, like that's, that's what this is all about. And, and I, I almost, I almost feel like a little bit, uh, reticent that like I even asked you about the career thing because I, I, I know that you've got books worth of, of wisdom from those conversations, but I was glad to be able to get some of those power tips from you and also that advice you'd give yourself. So thank you again for that. For those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here front and back and I've run out of room, so I've got margins and everything. If you've learned like I did today, then share this episode with like one person, nine people, 3,000, whatever the number but put what your take was in the comments and go teach your, your chat GPT to, uh, to uh, post some more on your behalf. But remember, it's not completely there. Um, and with that, Mason, you're the man. Let's stay in touch. Uh, you're great. Thanks again, dude. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been another crazy episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.